Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ladies and gentlemen, hello again and welcome back. This episode is sponsored by our generous patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Red Hills Rancher. In case you missed it, last Friday I released a little bonus content. It wasn't much, but if you haven't done it by now, I'd appreciate you letting me know what you thought of Friday's bonus content. If that's something you would like me to do a little more often, send in your questions. The more often I get questions, the more often I can do that. The best and most current email address to send me email at is always going to be on Linktree, so check the show notes for that link. For this week's show, my friend Texas Slim joins me on Zoom, and he helps unpack a lot of the terms he was throwing around last episode that I didn't quite get, maybe some of y'all didn't quite get. We talk about how to watch out for scams and how to take actual physical hardware custody of your Bitcoin, and he also talks about two upcoming Beef Initiative conferences and where you can find out more information about that. So, gang, here we go with Texas Slim. So, we're back here with Texas Slim. Welcome back to Ranching Reboot, Slim. Hey, Brian. Good to, good to see you, man. Yeah, we're just going to have a little follow-up to our conversation we had um, in real time about a month ago. I'm going to try to get this turned around and get this released real soon. So, a lot, oh, man, a lot has changed in the world since we last spoke. Um, Russia kind of invaded Ukraine. Um, a lot of people have become really, really aware that their input costs are are going sky high. Um, and it's it's a strange, it's been a strange month, hasn't it? <laughs> well, it seems to be right on schedule from everything that, you know, us, a few people, especially in the Bitcoin world, I guess, or just, you know, people that do analysis and research it's it's right on schedule um the it's it's amazing to watch it play out and to see you know the narrative that is forming around russia ukraine uh inflation uh gas uh feed uh fertilizer monetary value debasement it's it's all coordinated in a certain way that you know, i think i first started writing about most of this back in september and, you know, I've always said, I don't know the timeline here, but this is definitely going to play out. I mean, and, and the inflation we're seeing now has been more or less inevitable for, what, 14 years since uh, the big crash of 2008. Sure. And the yeah. Federal Reserve started the quantitative easing. Like, yeah, most definitely. Everybody thinks this is a new thing. It's just, you know, it's time to time to pay up, really. And what really set it off was two years ago when they started passing the massive trillion dollar coronavirus spending bills. Didn't they just pass another 1.2 or 1.4? As far as the spending bill, it was one point, it was right under 2 trillion, I think some 1.7 trillion. I can't remember. I quit paying attention. Oh, that's just it's relative. It's, it's just printing money at this point in time. It's just, you know, turning, turning on the printers is, is what they do. And, 
you know, inflation is past 10%. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'll tell everybody a little trick that I learned. And I, I forget the name of the formula. And somebody's going to say, well, it's 72, not 70, but I always use 70. So you take the inflation rate divided by 70. So if it's 10% inflation, divide that by 70, it gives you seven years. That's mm -hmm. the doubling interval. So that 10% inflation means the cost of everything is going to double in only seven years. That's scary. Like, that's really scary. And what we've seen, I think what we're seeing, there's, there's a couple year lag in between infl uh, you know, printing of the money and when we actually start feeling effects of inflation. How much worse is it going to get? What happens, I think, right now, what happened in 2008 was a major uh, reallocation of assets on certain levels. Whenever we have a, a debasement of the dollar, like happened in 2008, you know, the, the allocation, uh, reallocation was property, you know, as mortgage, it was housing. Uh, this time I, I see, you know, as far as, as far as we're getting debased again and inflation's really kicking in, we're going to have another, uh, we are having another asset reallocation in society. With COVID, the asset reallocation, one of it is your personal space. And uh, we knew that because, you know, everybody locked themselves up willingly for the most part. They had no problem doing that. What's going to happen in, you know, they've, they've said it, you know, people are going to own nothing and be happy with that. As far as the asset re reallocation going on now, it will be more on a personal level. It'll be personal space, personal decisions, um, you know, the types of food. Let's look at, let's look at beef. I mean, why are, why are they, uh, you know, manipulating the beef prices to where, you know, it's going to be, you know, like ca caviar, that's going to price people out of their lifestyles. What happens when they do that? They get more dependent upon the government. So as much as they can basically reallocate any asset that an individual has right now, they're going to go for it. And, you, you know, you're having certain laws with automobiles. How about gas? How many people will not be able to afford their vehicles now? Then in California, you know, seven to $8 a gallon. And those people that need those vehicles to work, well, guess what? They're going to be able to reallocate assets in a way on business levels, on individual family levels. So it, the list is long and people are going to feel that. And I believe we're just at the beginning here. This is it. It's strange to think that some people might be looking at a situation now where they cannot afford the gas to go to work because they work so far away from home. Like it just costs too much to drive there anymore. It's, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, go to work and work for 25 cents an hour all day just so you can afford the gas to get home. And that's, you know, at 25 cents an hour is what you end up putting back in your pocket at the end of the day after you paid your fuel and everything else. Exactly. And you think about that, where does that play into? Well, it played into the COVID narrative where, you know, people willingly lock themselves up in their homes. And, you know, what was the reporting on that? Well, we were saving the climate if we stay home. You know, they're going against energy. They're going against oil right now. So isn't that a form of, you know, reclaiming the energy market in a way that they can control the individual? I could see that. I can see that. And, you know, I was, I was actually having a conversation this morning. Okay, so people are freaking out about fuel prices right now. Okay, four and a half dollars for a gallon of diesel. Let's reset the clock and let's think about February, January of 2020, right before COVID hit or before we heard about COVID. I think it was already here in November. That's beside the point. 
you know, fuel prices were, um, you know, they were way up in the threes, 380, 390, I think was, was what I was paying for diesel that winter. 350 mm-hmm. was about what I was paying for gas um, when we are driving around on the conference circuit. So, you know, $4, 4 450 fuel, that's not that far out of line of where we should be if we would have continued on that curve. But when everybody shut down for COVID in 2020, that created what uh, the guys in the industry, energy industry would call demand destruction, right? And that cut, you know, and that had ripple effects all the way up and down the oil industry. And now we cut production so much because, you know, it wasn't necessary two years ago. You know, it takes time to spool that back up. And I guess that can kind of lead us into, um, lead us into talking about the China or the, uh, the Russia Ukraine situation a little bit. Well, I mean, it's definitely about we're squeezing. We have a petrodollar here. Okay. That's what we're, we live, we live in the United States of America. The global currency is the U S dollar, which is the petrodollar that happened in the seventies after we went off the gold standard. Ever since that we have, our dollar has been debased uh, gradually for the last 50 years. Um, by saying that you have other countries out there right now realizing how weak the dollar is. So if you're going to say the dollar, you're going to say Petro, you're going to say Petro dollar. So you, you have Russia. Well, what, have, what is Russia doing? Well, they're basically moving to become more. They understand that they can get isolated right now and they're okay with that because what they want to do is they want to have more control on the global market I believe they are going to become a client of China. Basically, well, they'll, they'll serve China in the way that China needs to be served. In the long run, um, who knows how that will play out. But right now, as far as this posturing and this, this, this war that was, was going to happen no matter what, ha- uh, what, you know, what is said on media or within the government, this is something that has a lot of um, meanings behind it, a lot of things that people do not understand about Ukraine. Ukraine is that one thing I'll lead off with is Ukraine has a front uh, border with Russia that is, is as big as the Great Plains. It's huge. It's, it's wide and it's vast. You can see it for hundreds of miles, of course. By saying that during World War II, uh, that's how Germany invaded Russia was through Ukraine, one, one of the you know, passages ways they took. And um, it is something that Russia has always said that they were, will defend. Okay, so if if NATO is makes it a very valuable strategic asset, like it's it's Western border is very easy to defend. And I I forget what countries those are with, but the Eastern border is easier to defend because of the terrain. And there's just a few choke points. But the border they share with Russia is is not very easy to defend. That's why Russia really wants wants that territory or one of the reasons they're saying. Sure. And, and, you know, you look at the Soviet Union, you look at Russia's history. I mean, this is all, this is nothing new as far as the ge- geography. This is stuff that we might just be, you know, learning as Westerners and especially the media will never, you know, report this. Um, as far as Ukraine itself, it's a very co- corrupt com- country. I mean, a lot of the corruption in the United States financial, you know, within our government, we we've seen the corruption with in the administration right now what happened under trump there's a lot of corruption being held up right there there's a lot of corruption being leaked out right now with the bio labs that were created under you know the last administration before trump 
you, you see um, basically nobody's reporting on the amount of uh, human trafficking that actually goes through the Ukraine. There's a lot of things I see that the, the media is not reporting on, and this is not to discount anything that, you know, loss of human life that is going on right now. Um, as far as the footage and everything, I think it's suspect as far as war footage. Um, but as far as what we're doing right now, this is this is an economy reset positioning. This has this is not about us hating Russia or you know United States hating Russians like they're trying to say. This really doesn't have to do anything with you know world leaders. This has to do with leverage as far as the value of the United States dollar. That's it. Because you can put everything together as as we go into inflation, as our dollar gets debased, what distraction do we come up with next? The last two years, it was because of COVID. And if you look at uh, the bond market before COVID hit, I mean, we were going towards this no matter what. I mean, at the end of Trump's you know administration, we were we're heading this way no matter what. It was covered up by this COVID narrative and marketing plan that we had to live through. There's a lot of things that people really don't understand as far if you, if you don't if you really want to try to understand what's going on with Russia and Ukraine on a global scale, just look at energy, look at the United States dollar and see who's going to quit participating in the United States dollar as much and who's going to transfer, you know, maybe some of their debt in a different direction and even their energy uh, resources and dependencies in different directions. I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said and i can remember i can remember back a lot of the conflicts that we've had you know these little petty brush wars in the mid-east you know and i'm thinking of when we went into libya and took out Qaddafi. and what comes to mind is we were getting along with them really well right up till about four weeks in front of when we had to go in there. And the reason we went in is because Qaddafi said, hey, maybe I'm not going to trade oil and dollars anymore. Maybe I want to trade, maybe I want to go in and trade it in oil. Same, that was also one of the reasons Saddam Hussein had to go. Is he was going to start taking gold for oil instead of dollars. And now what, what I see happening is this invasion in Russia, or Russia going into Ukraine to secure oil and gas. As I think, 99% sure that's what it's all about is they just want to they want a better strategic position to defend a border and they want control of all the all the untapped oil and gas that's under Ukraine. But what I see happening and this was underreported is Russia and China are talking about using a common cryptocurrency to trade <clears throat> to trade oil in. Mm -hmm. And when I start thinking about you know digital money tied to a digital money, it wouldn't take anything for the Chinese to tie that to a social credit score. And, you know, we're, we're sitting here and being observers at a really fascinating time in history. So, you know, on one hand, you have people going, oh, well, you know, all these companies are refusing to do business with Russia because, you know, they're invading Ukraine. But obviously, you know, we're going to overlook all these other human rights violations in other parts of the world for now. Uh, I digress, but there's, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, virtue signaling going on of, of companies and people and celebrities saying, you know, we stand with Ukraine, we support this and we're cutting our ties to Russia. And I don't know if that's a good thing in the end. 
you know, one of the things that Russia produces is a lot of fertilizer and they're not going to be sending us any. We're already looking at, you know, already feeling price shocks from production slowdowns because of COVID and supply chain disruptions. Now there's going to be less supply to go around. That's really going to drive input prices wild, but we're not going to see that this year. Like we'll see those effects next year and the years after. So like there's a lag time in a lot of these economic effects. And I think that by the time that, you know, we see some of these economic effects, like we were talking about earlier that, you know, we're sitting on the mother of all bubbles of all economic bubbles right now. Like the last, the last big bubble popped in 20 in 2008, there was another one in 2014 that was artificial, but I don't think there's another bubble underneath of us. Like there was in 2014 to catch us when this one pops. No, there's no more trap doors to escape and, you know, kind of recreate false value stacking false value on stop top of false value. And they know that let's go back to the digital currency. And that's what, you know, you and I've talked about that before people need to understand, you know, cryptocurrency is not Bitcoin. Okay. Everybody get that straight. Cryptocurrency is a digital CBDC. You know, it's a, it's a digital currency. It's like saying, give me all your cash. I'm going to give you a digital reading of that cash. Well, whenever they do that, that digital reading has an on off switch and can be taken out at a database anytime. You refer, you referred to, um, you know, social credit score. Well, China is very good at doing that. Why is China, why we say it's communism and everything is the reason China does what they do with social credit scores is for the sake of their, you know, their society, their culture, everything like that. Really? No, it's, it's to control the, the self, the individual. And if you control the individual, then you, you basically make them the product of your currency. And if, if China's had massive successes doing that, and we lead the nation or we lead the world in technology in a lot of ways, the West does. And if we can recreate what they've done in China in, in a similar fashion, as far as a CBDC, a cryptocurrency, digital currency type thing, then what we can do is we can really, really turn the most powerful consumer nation in the world into a form of social credit scores that they do not understand. And they become more of the product than they even are right now. Whenever I say, well, what, what their product is, well, we consume a lot of stuff that we don't need. A lot of that stuff is, you know, food that we don't need to eat, a lot of material things that we don't need to have in our lives, whatever. We, we're mass consumers. And if we can get to where we have a digital currency here in the United States was, you know, they're already starting to propose that. They're proposing that in England, you know, Russia's looking in that as well. Once you have that digital currency and it's adopted by people's um, habits, spending habits, then they, they become part of a hedge fund that they don't understand. And, and their consumption model changes, their, their freedoms change, their, their, the leverage against them increases tenfold. That leverage is being created and engineered because the dollar has been debased down to nothing. And so if we can if we can circumvent that understanding within the general public saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and airdrop you two thousand dollars and they're already doing that universal basic income is coming. They're already starting to test it and senior citizens right now are getting hit. My father, he gets hit every day with, you know, here, here, here's twenty seven hundred dollars. Here's twenty seven hundred dollars. 
Well, that's just the first phase of that digital currency. It's coming to the United States. And the more that people do not understand that, the, the worse it's going to be for us as far as individuals and as far as our society, because we don't have any true value anymore. We become the product. We are the consumer. And we get dictated to what we can spend that money on, that digital money on, and what we cannot. It is a form of us. Uh, surveillance is a form of uh, understanding who you are is as far as where you go. It's a, it's a track and trace model. There's so many things that they can do with the digital currency than we, than you can do now with the general currency of the United, United States dollar. It's a whole new ball game. It's a monetary reset. You said, well, why is Russia doing this? And they're talking about this digital dollar. Well, because the whole world is about to go through a monetary reset. It's never seen before. And everybody's going to say, oh, no, it's not. Well, some people won't be affected by this because they have enough, you know, um, I guess, leverage, equity, um, savings, they enough assets. But for the general public, people meet like you and I and people that are impoverished, you know, it's going to hit people tremendously hard in ways that they can't understand because they don't understand the global aspect of the U.S. dollar being debased as it is. And in the petrodollar, how it's being manipulated with this war with Ukraine and Russia. And of course, China is going to definitely exploit that because they want to be the new, basically the digital one. They released that last year, I believe. And, you know, that's where this is going. You know, we live in a digital world. And so whenever people start looking at Bitcoin, thinking it's a digital currency, it's not. It's digital property. And, you know, that's that. And it's hard to understand that in the beginning, you know, it does take some education, it takes some research and studying to understand what that means. And, you know, that's, that's what I like to do with, you know, ranchers, you know, with you and, you know, with Jason, with everybody that I've been talking with, let's look at Bitcoin as, is its property first. Let's, let's just quit thinking about currency. Let's just, you know, compare it into property and then we can start that conversation where we can build some analogies and some, you know, examples where we can both understand and it's a good starting point to understand what's going on globally with the digital currency and then what's going on actually globally within Bitcoin, uh, its digital property. So the question that I would have, so let's, let's just say six months down the road, I've invested a bunch of money in Bitcoin. So I converted mm-hmm. a, a lot of my asset now to Bitcoin and sometime sure. between now and fall, the big reset happens and they convert to digital currency. So how do I take that value that I have stored in Bitcoin and leverage it back in the real world? Like, and maybe that's a question we really can't answer because we don't know, you know, we don't know what they're actually going to do with the economic system. Yeah, it's not something you can answer fully because, you know, it is kind of predicting the future. There's companies out there already now, if you if you have a good size amount, let's say $50,000 worth of Bitcoin, and this is, I'm just throwing it out there. Not everybody can have $50,000 worth of Bitcoin. I'm not saying that, but it's something that you can go to and you, you there are investment companies that will let you leverage your Bitcoin. Right now, Bitcoin is volatile because of the, the manipulation, the way I look at that is, you know, as, as time grows, as time moves forward, as the dollar gets more debased, as they manipulate a digital currency into the consumer model and they try to evaluate what that digital currency will allow people, Bitcoin will go up in value. It will go up in price because more people will go to Bitcoin 
in Bitcoin is based on scarcity. There's only 21 Bitcoin, 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be mined. There's no more. It will never be mined again. And that's a long times away. So once we, once we understand the true scarcity of Bitcoin and how people will funnel their assets, their liquidity, their value of their cow, the value of their land, so many different things into Bitcoin, that leverage of being able to be more self-sustaining without relying on that debt model that most people have to do, you know, today, as far as ranchers, farmers, you know, monocropping, you know, feedlot ranchers, everybody, you know, they're on a 12, 13 month window that they don't understand every year. They have to, they have to leverage debt. Well, let's turn that around and let's change that model into, I'm going to leverage Bitcoin for the long term. This is not a short term game here. This is something that we're talking about legacy. This is about saving your ranch. This is about building your legacy. This is about giving you the power that actually has the same power as let's say land in the state of Texas in 1880. And you had that land. Well, the value of your cow was in that land because you had plenty of it and you, you trusted it. You had to monitor that land. You had to protect that land. What's the difference with Bitcoin? Bitcoin is just land in you know, the panhandle of Texas in 1980. And you know, many, many people created many long-term legacies just on that fact of that land. Well, we don't have that much land anymore that can, people can have access, access to right now. We know that. I mean, every individual in the United States realizes that. And so by saying that, say, okay, well, let's look at Bitcoin since it is property. It is a ledger that can't be changed. It will never be changed. It can't be manipulated. And if you have transactional uh, proof of that Bitcoin, which means you've bought the Bitcoin, you self-custody that Bitcoin, you can prove that you own that Bitcoin. Right now, it's, it's, it's valued in dollars. We don't know what it'll be valued in the future. I don't even go there. What I do know is that uh, Bitcoin can be leveraged just as well as land was leveraged in the 1880s. And if you want to, you don't want to talk about Texas, let's talk about two blocks in Manhattan, whenever Manhattan was being constructed, uh, let's say two blocks right off on Fifth Avenue. Those people never sold those two blocks. All they've done is built wealth on top of that two blocks. Well, look at Bitcoin, it's the same way. It's property that you can build on top of. And how do you, how do you build on top of it? Well, you leverage it in the way that they use, leverage that land back in those days, whenever it was innovation. We don't know exactly, exactly the model. If we did, all of us would be billionaires right now, wouldn't we? <laughs> and so, you know, there's, there's going to be those questions because whenever I was in the software industry, when I was younger and we were innovating, you know, with even this transactional value with the internet, you couldn't spend money on the internet. It was, it was a network that was protocol. It wasn't even really supposed to be central, uh, decentralized. It was supposed to be decentralized, not centralized. We made it centralized. We had to build the transactional sequences, software applications, banking had to build on top of the internet, just like we are building on top of Bitcoin right now. This is, you know, this is something that happens throughout transformation of, you know, uh, technology, transformation of money, currency throughout time, you know, in human history, this is where we are. We have to accept that. And it, you can either choose to innovate within it to, you know, take the, I don't really see it as being a risk anymore. I, I, I say, I, I look at Bitcoin as mandatory right now. 
because where are you going to put your money right now? You can't, you can't, a lot of people can't afford the land. A lot of people can't afford, don't trust the bank, a savings account. What is that? We don't even talk about that anymore. You're going to put it into bonds. You're going to put it into gold. You're going to put it into oil. Uh, yeah, some people do, and they play the markets. Uh, you know, a lot of ranchers, a lot of people that I deal with, my type of, um, the how I live my life, I'm not a gambler, man. What I do is I, I invest in something. I look at a long-term plan, and, you know, I figure out the percentages that I can afford to do that. And I look at it right now as I'm buying digital land that's going to give my family a, a heritage and legacy for much longer than I, I could right now with just buying, let's say, property or a couple of acres. And whenever that time comes, when people do flood into the Bitcoin protocol, and it is something that um, can't be confiscated if you know what true ownership is, because Bitcoin teaches you true ownership like our grandparents and our great-grandparents. You know, that's how they had to live. They didn't have debt that they could manipulate and leverage against. And they did a little bit, but not as much as people think. My grandfather paid cash for land. He paid cash for anything he bought as far as food. And that, that teaches us true ownership again. If you buy Bitcoin and you basically self-custody, you know what true ownership is. And that's the learning curve. That's where people get frustrated. It's like, how do I do this? Because the manipulation is strong right now just like it was during the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust. There's going to be people out there that gamble, people that do not educate themselves. And what I want to do is bridge that gap within the ranchers and the animal proteins, you know, suppliers, producers is like, let's start from ground zero. Let's understand what Bitcoin truly is first. Let's forget all this cryptocurrency crap. I mean, I think you, you, the other day you, you got something sent to you, you know, somebody, somebody's you know, trying to manipulate you. You know, it's amazing how much, you know, scam, the scams, the scandals, the corruptions, they're going to be rampant. And unless you're based with your knowledge and having an understanding on how you can truly leverage it and quit thinking about getting rich quick, nobody's going to get rich quick here. There's going to be a 1% of people that do that. 99% of the people won't. But I remember when I was young, I had a chance to buy five, uh, Apple at $5. And I talked myself out of it. If I'd have done that at that time, um, you know, I'd be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire with the money that I was going to use to do that. I see that as the same right now with Bitcoin. I have a low time preference towards it. I'm, I'm in survival mode in a lot of ways. What do you mean by um, low time preference? Well, our, our attention spans are less than a goldfish right now. Okay. <laughs> True. Seriously. True. I, I went to, a, I went to a, a freaking think tank in 2000. When was this 2019, I believe 18, it was up in Boston. And, and a lot of people know this is, you know, in marketing technology, but our, our, our attention spans are less than eight seconds at this point in time. And a goldfish has a longer attention span than that. So by saying that, that that's instant gratification. That's a very high time preference form of living. It's like, I need that dopamine push right now. I need another one right now. I need that hit right now. That's high time preference of basically a desire that you really don't understand why you're desiring that dopamine. Well, it's because you're addicted to it. That creates a high time preferable form of living. You don't sit down. You don't think strategically anymore. You, you kind of instant gratification yourself into a consumption model that's not healthy for you. So a low time preference is, hey, we're going to take a step back here. We're going to look at things from all angles and we're going to get more of a plan. 
you know, my grandfather used to say, if you wanted to buy something, wait three days. And then after three days, you wanted to buy that thing. You probably put the time in to think about it. Go ahead and buy it. You know, you're making a good decision. But how our marketing works, you know, marketing is propaganda. I hope everybody understands that, you know, marketing is full on propaganda. And for us to, if you're having to spend that much money on something to market it, then it probably doesn't have that much value. So we're inundated with so much in our world and we're on, we're on the screen so much every day from our phones to our you know, computers that that's all we do. We get inundated with this uh, high time preference decision-making. What we need to do is kind of take a step back and say, Hey, I got a low time preference here. I'm, I'm going to think this out. I'm going to, I'm going to ask myself, why do I desire what I desire by doing that? You're going to actually it's a kind of a new superpower because everybody is running around like a freaking chicken with their head cut off these days, instead of taking a step back and saying, man, what, why, why do I want this? Or why do I, you know, what am I trying to do here? What, what is it, what does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to be wealthy? What does it mean to be secured? There's so many things that right now in our society, we need to really look, look at and, you know, low time preferences allows you to do that. Okay, cool. So I guess uh, the next thing I kind of want to tackle is, so I'm a guy with cows and I'm going to turn them into, I'm going to send them to freezer camp and put them in the freezer. And then I want to sell that to somebody and get Bitcoin for it and, and mm -hmm. have self-custody of that Bitcoin. Can you walk me through kind of the process that I'd need to go through? Sure. Um, there's a lot of ways you can transact with Bitcoin. And that's always been the, the, uh, the argument about Bitcoin is, oh, you can't use it to buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, you know, you couldn't buy anything on the internet when the internet came around too either. You couldn't swipe a credit card and go to Starbucks. Yeah, you couldn't do so, crap before PayPal. Yeah, you. I mean, there, it was frustrating. People wouldn't buy a pair of shoes. They didn't know where their credit card information was going, you know? So this is nothing new. So as far as within the Beef Initiative, you can go to the Beef Initiative. I'll just use this. We're in partnership with... Um, with Oshi and Oshi's developing it's Oshi app is basically it's a promotional application that allows you to transact in Bitcoin on the lightning network. Okay. So what, okay. within, what does that mean? Like, can you explain that to a five-year-old? <laughs> sure. Let's look at uh let's look at Bitcoin as the base layer protocol of that value of that transaction. Lightning lets you go in and reach into that, that Bitcoin, whatever that, that number is, grab it, and then exchange it over to this other peer-to-peer. -peer. It's just the, it's just a highway saying, oh, yep, here we did. Here we go here. We're here. Okay. Makes it a lot more fast, right? Pipeline to get so, a Bitcoin from me to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's say, let's say I bought a quarter of a cow from you for, what, $800 right now? I don't know. Somewhere. Sure, good number. Good. A uh, quarter of a cow. Okay. 800. Then you'll go to, um, you'll go to the beef initiative, right? And you'll have your Bitcoin wallet as an individual and you'll have, I don't know, a thousand dollars of Bitcoin on your wallet. You'll see a beef box within the beef initiative and we'll have the price, the beef box right now. Let's just go to that. Cause that's the price. They're around 150 to 200. We have four different beef boxes that you can purchase. So you buy a beef box for $189, $218. I just put $218. I'm going to send it to you, get a code. Boom. We switch it. You, the consumer gets an email. The, the producer gets an email. We see that you and I did a peer-to-peer -peer transaction of that value. If you do not, as far as the producer want to keep all that money in Bitcoin, you can change it into fiat automatically. 
Okay. So you don't, you're not trapped into the Bitcoin world, but what you can do as far as saving that trans that transaction that you usually have to pay to like say MasterCard, credit cards, you know, whoever transaction that you're using to make that, you don't have to pay that anymore as a rancher. And that's what I tell a lot of ranchers. It's, it's okay. You don't want to get into Bitcoin right now. Let's let you save that 2.7% that you're going to pay that credit card company and let it sit there. Just, just don't do anything with it. Let a Bitcoiner that that's, you know, let them use their Bitcoin in the way that they want to use it. Let them get the beef that they want to get and let's bridge these two gaps and let's build these on ramps and decrease the friction of understanding how to transact. You know, by doing that, I know you, Brian, I trust you. You trust me. Now there's a form of trust that happens. And if your product is damn good, I'm happy. You're happy. Um, you have your Bitcoin. I have my beef. <laughs> and we went peer to peer. We went between me and you. Nobody else knows that transaction happened. We did it with property. That property was with Bitcoin. And it's, it's, that's, it's, that's the simple way to put it. As far as going deep into the technology that's involved with that, it's probably not the best discussion. Not everybody knows how to re build a transmission, but they still use it every day when they put on the gas pedal. Right. So, and that comes, you know, that comes with adoption that comes with trust, you know, that comes with Bitcoiners knowing that you guys are out there selling your beef and that we can connect you guys. This will grow. This is just our first little phase of being able to transact into Bitcoin. Let's say that you and I really like each other. I love the beef. I love the box. I want to buy a full freaking cow from you. I'm going to call you up and say, Brian, I, I want a full cow. How much? And you're going to give me a price. And I'm saying, yes, I can send you Bitcoin like that right now. You're done. We're okay. And then, you know, that is something that people don't understand. And if you want to convert that Bitcoin, let's say you're going to start saving 10% of any Bitcoin that you transact in within the cow, you're going to put that 10% leaving in Bitcoin you're going to say, I'm going to look at this next year, right before calving season or right before whatever season it is that you really look at your books and you're going to look at that Bitcoin for the last 12 years, that's gone up hundred percent. Right. Okay. By doing that, you think that you, is there anything in this world right now that you know is going to go up hundred percent in a year? Um, cost of living. Yep. Price of everything else. And the debasement of the dollar has gone down and down and down. Your Bitcoin's not going down. All it is is going up in value in U.S. dollar value. So there's a store of value there that you've never had before. The only thing you can kind of come close to was the land in which our grandfathers used to own. Land used to may maybe value that fast, but probably not. Over a period of time, it did, of course, from 1880 to year two, 2022, land is different. So that's a good valuation over a hundred and something year period. Right now, you can look at um, Bitcoin is for, you know, looking, that's what I like to do. Look, look that's the sequence uh, over a year that you have to go through is a 12 to 13 month sequence as far as being a rancher, you know, as far as the books and understanding how you're going to plan your years. You've never had this tool before. You've never had this store of value before. And we are early. We're, th we are this early. Okay. And as far as the ranchers moving forward within the beef initiative, what we plan to do is more ranchers that come on to the beef initiative and they say, yeah, we, I want to sell two beef boxes through the beef initiative. I think this is a good entry point for me. Well, in the long term, 
you'll be you'll be using the Yoshi app, right? And this is not that far away where you, the rancher, can say, I'm gonna give you sats back if you buy, you know, Bitcoin. Well, Oshi and you are gonna have an agreement to where you're able to give that customer sats back and and whenever you do that. There, that's what makes up a Bitcoin. Look at a, you know, look at dollars and cents, right? You get a dollar and you get cents. And yeah, you know, that's the easiest way to kind of explain it. It's so pennies sat, on the dollar. Sats are to Bitcoins as pennies are to dollars, but it's not 100 to one. No, and I'll get beat up for this, but that's the first entry point. You can kind of understand that it's, you know, it's safe to go there, but it gets pretty complicated. The sats will always go up in value, of course, because Bitcoin will go up in value. But, you know, you think about that every time you get sats back, you know, that's just a savings account. I'm getting sats back as a consumer. You're getting sats back as a rancher and you've built that cost model yourself. You, you, you get to control that. And that's the beautiful thing about that. Once again, you're getting to put the value back into your cow. And, you know, and that's, that's what people will start understanding and I understand that's kind of hard to grasp right now. And, you know, that's what this whole year is going to be about is that education and getting in front of this inflation in, in front of this debasement in front of the manipulation against the beef market industry. I was just thinking how glad I am that we're doing a podcast and this isn't just you and me talking and I'm, and it's not being recorded because I'm, I know I'm going to have to go back and listen to this several right. times to, to really start wrapping my head around everything you're saying. Sure. Well, let me give you an example. I'm, I'm working right now to all the, I had, thanks to you guys, like you and Jason, I've had five ranchers contact me this past week saying, Hey, I need to, I need to know a little bit more about Bitcoin. You know, I need to understand it. Well, I'm in talks with a, a company that's very solid and they're, they're about privacy, security, and understanding Bitcoin from just getting started. What we're going to do is we're going to create a full-on education curriculum. And I've already, you know, you guys, you and Jason talked to Matt a little bit and he helped you, you guys out to kind of get started as far as the base layer of understanding. Well, we're going to knock that up a bit and then within the next 60 days, it'll be a weekly podcast and it's going to gear be geared directly to the ranchers, animal pro, uh, protein producers, anybody that wants to, of course, but you know, I'm starting with the ranchers. So okay. there's, there's education coming. Mm -hmm. I got to know, have you figured out a way for people to be able to subscribe to you and use Bitcoin to pay for it? As far as the podcast itself? Yeah. I'd, I'd like yeah, to there's do that. A, I mean, I, I have yeah. a premium link in my bios and on link mm -hmm. And I think there's, yeah, there's third. many ways to do it. The one that I like the best is uh, how Adam Curry does is, you know, with his podcasting 2.0, he uses tally coin now and people can go and just tip him. And that's, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get value for value exchange. And there's other things. Um, there's a Sphinx check that's out there. Podcasting is about to change big time the the applications and the technology to be able to string sats as you're like if we were doing something right now this is how you're going to see the future of podcasting as we stream this podcasting you know you can give sats as you are watching this podcast and you and i are creating value somebody thinks that that's that it is valuable okay you're receiving sats for that podcast what that means is value for value. If I say, hey, I'm not going to listen to this podcast anymore. I, I, I got what I wanted. I'm going to move on to another podcast. You don't have to worry about it. I don't have to pay you anymore. 
and I'm going to go pay somebody else something because I need a different subject to go along with that, that um, sequence of events, that on-ramp to be able to make that transaction to send you those sats is getting very close and a lot of people will start using it. There's a lot of people in the Bitcoin space that are moving in that direction. I'm looking at it. Um, I don't know when I'll get there, but yeah, to answer your question, it's getting very close to being able to do to where you don't have to worry about Patreon. You don't have to worry about all this other stuff. You'll just get all your revenue in sats. And once again, what do you do with your Bitcoin when you get it? That's up to you. Nobody can tell you and you don't have to tell anybody. It's your property. So somebody gave you property as you were streaming your intelligence to them. And this is what this is. Podcasting is intelligence. It's information. Yep. If somebody is streaming you sats up to the second, up to the minute, that value for value exchange, what does that do for most podcasts? That means that there is quality. That That's is a built strong in. signal that you're providing a lot exactly. of value. Exactly. And it's not something on YouTube where all these people are just streaming propaganda and all these these you know larpers out there and all these cucks out there that just suck people in and manipulate the content to get money through you know through marketing and advertising as we see it today bitcoin content will fix creators it. that just yeah outlandish shit just to get views shock value it, what's different from them and the media companies right now mainstream media same thing so what I'm going to be is a based, you know, human being, you as a base human being, I'm saying, Hey man, I'm going to go listen to Brian on Sunday and I'm going to, I'm going to stream him some sats because last week, what he did, man, that, that, that improved my life. You're going to start getting that. We're going to start building quality and content again to where me, the podcaster, you, the podcast, we better check ourselves and we better really bring something that's valuable. Instead of just, you know, bumping our gums and saying, oh, you know, hopefully, you know, get more followers. I don't look at his followers. I look at his value for value exchange. And I'm learning a lot about that. You know, I'm, I'm doing a lot these days. And, you know, I'm really paying attention to what Adam's doing because that's how he that's how he lives his, you know, his whole media career right now is value for value. Going to have to check that out and, and check yeah. Cali coin and, and, and see. So. I'm still thinking about self-custody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, you kind of alluded to it and I'll just come out and say it. Like I got solicited by, by an outfit on Twitter. They were yeah. like, Hey, we're, we're a crypto investing company. You can give us money. We'll buy crypto for you and invest it and give you the returns in exchange for a small percent. And that's not self-custody. That's letting somebody else control your asset and then tell you what they're doing with it. So, so tell me how self-custody of Bitcoin actually works. Self-custody of Bitcoin actually works. Um, a lot of people use exchanges. There's a thousand ways you can get Bitcoin. Um, I don't try to talk to too many people about where to go to get your Bitcoin. That is something you need to individually find out. There's some very good companies out there that are not exchanges where you can just buy Bitcoin. You can, um, you, you build out, you can do KYC, non-KYC, you know, that's know your customer. So that's up to the individual. Once you've acquired your Bitcoin, what that means it's somewhere. It's in a trust. You know, a company has a trust built up and that's usually the responsible companies do that. A lot of people like um, certain exchanges, you know, you really don't own that Bitcoin until you get it off the, the exchange. It's just like with gold. Gold is a gold. Most gold is a gold note. Right. You know, it's not physical gold. Same with Bitcoin. And a lot of people are going to find that out whenever they, you know, whatever happens here moving forward. If you don't own your Bitcoin, you never did. 
happen. And so once you have that Bitcoin and you say, yeah, I bought, you know, let's say, I don't know, a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. Okay. Well, I want to get that Bitcoin off. Well, what I've done in the few, before that is I've acquired a hardware wallet. Okay. And, you know, I've developed a seed phrase. Seed phrase is your password to know, to memorize and to have forever that nobody else knows. Because if you get it, that money, that value and it's gone. is gone forever. forever. And you, you, you remember I talked about ownership before. Bitcoin teaches you what true ownership is. And so once you develop that seed phrase and you have you wherever you want to secure it, a lot of people secure it in a lot of different ways, titanium plates, uh, you know, they hammer in seed phrases on pieces of metal. They do it their own way. This is where you get to own how you're going to remember a seed phrase. Usually, you know, it's 24 words, whatever, to, you know, seed phrase words, whatever people want to say, once you have that and you've set up your hardware wallet, okay, it's a device. Some of them look like a, a thumb drive. Some of them look like a, you know, frontiers coming out with something that looks like, um, it's almost like an old flip top phone. There's all kinds of different ways you can get treasure has a good wallet, uh, um, frontier, uh, ledger. A lot of people use ledger, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not promoting anybody and I'm not going to tell anybody my hardware wallet <laughs> in one-on-one -on -one discussions, you know, we can have that. And with the right. ranchers, we will go over that because that's where you give financial advice and we just can't go there. But once you have that seed phrase, you go to the, you get on, you log online basically. And you say, I want to transfer to, to a different wallet. And so whenever you deal in transactional with transactions within Bitcoin, you get your barcode, you get your, your um, code that it'll give you, it'll generate for that transaction and you send it just like you send any other barcode, you scan it and boom, it shows up into your hardware wallet. Once it's in your hardware wallet and you have that seed phrase, you own that Bitcoin and nobody, nobody can take that from you that's why you always hear but uh bitcoiners saying la la i lost my bitcoin in a boating accident yeah and um <laughs> what that means is that you know i had it on a hardware wallet i went boating and the boat sank and i don't know where my bitcoin is anymore so it's my property you can't tell me that it's not my property now because i know the seed phrase nobody can ever take this we don't know where that's going as far as manipulation as far as people you know they confiscated gold they confiscated my grandfather's gold in the 1930s you know they can confiscate anything if you do not understand bitcoin and how to truly own it and this is just the one-on-one -on -one here this is just the entry point of doing that and that's what we're going to bring to the ranchers is the full-fledged how to do this step by step to step by step to have the confidence just like you raise your calves you're going to know your protocol basically of owning your bitcoin and once you have that I guarantee you, once you've uh, downloaded into your hardware wallet and you are confident of your seed phrase and your, you know, your passcodes, everything that you have, you're going to feel different. You're going to feel empowered in a way that you haven't felt in a long time. And if that is not for you, you know, to own, own your Bitcoin like that, true ownership of it, there's going to be companies out there. One right now that I'm in talks with is Unchained Capital. They will help you with multi-sig, multi-signature is what that means, is that you're pretty dang safe with your Bitcoin at this point in time. But to leave it out there on the internet, just floating around for manipulation or that somebody else can acquire it from you, it's not the smartest thing to do. 
And, you know, once you learn how to self-custody, you look at Bitcoin in a different way. Okay. And self-custody is different than actually doing any mining, right? Yeah, exactly. Mining is what you're doing is you're truly, you know, gold mining, you're digging, you know, you're digging for gold, right? Well, mining uh, for Bitcoin is you, you're using the miners, the miners doing the mathematical sequences, it's doing proof of work saying, hey, I can generate this Bitcoin, I'm following the protocols to, to, to generate this Bitcoin. And so there's a whole long of a mathematical computations that goes into generating a Bitcoin by miners. And so once you've generated that Bitcoin with being a miner, a lot of miners just, they keep their Bitcoin or they leverage their Bitcoin to, you know, they, they, they sell it. You know, it's up to the individual miner. You have mining companies, you have individual miners that, you know, they'll never get rid of their Bitcoin. Once again, that is up to self-sovereign individuals to make that decision. Nobody has to tell them anything. Their intent is their own personal business and nobody can get in the way of that. And, you know, you get, you get a rancher and this is the beautiful part of it that we're really going to start talking about is, you know, you had the blow off natural gas blow off that some ranchers have on their lands and they're using that natural gas they're generating electricity, they're mining Bitcoin <laughs> and they're not using anything except the land value itself. And they're putting that value of that Bitcoin into their cows. And that's happening right now as we speak, and it's going to start exploding. You know, there's a lot of good stuff states that are i see it you know tennessee's doing this people up in wyoming are doing this texas so colorado a little bit but uh you're going to start seeing a lot of ranchers probably looking into mining and saying hey how can i leverage my whatever it is there's there's talks about fertilizer natural fertilizer you know uh there's ways to generate electricity now that people are looking at so they can mine bitcoin right it's self-sustaining. You know, this is what we're going for. You know, we're, it's part of the regenerative agricultural ethos. You know, it is. It's a circular form of um, giving back, taking, creating energy, and giving back. So, once again, we're early in all this, but I believe that we're in such a good position now, you know, especially with the beef initiative, especially with you, the, the ranchers that are coming on board. Once we get a little momentum on here, the form of innovation is going to multiply 10 times in a very quick period of time. I feel it already. I agree. I, I think that the velocity of information is really driving a lot of change. Like ideas can spread like wildfire from one side of the globe to the other. And there's just such an awareness of what's going on. But at the same time, you know, you have to look at that from a time preference standpoint, like what do they want us to see and what are they not showing us? What are we, what are they talking about? So we're not thinking about the other thing. The question that's on my mind is like, what's the timeline? Like how long, how long do we have before the economy completely implodes? Yeah. <laughs> if I knew that, man, boy, we'd be, we'd be uh, both a lot more well off right now, but I, I think, you know, with I started writing about everything back in September, the timeline that we're seeing right now, uh, I think there's going to be, I've said it on many podcasts, there's going to be a short term food supply shortage that comes up and people will really get kind of desperate and, you know, there'll be a lot of chaos that's created this year. I see it happening, be it that it's a true food supply shortage or just the perception of it, people, you know, running, hitting the banks, hitting the food store, you know, the supermarkets, 
you know, hoarding all they can. Something's going to happen here pretty quick. I see, you know, I'm going to look at maybe mid to late April of we're going to have a very good indicator of what's about to happen for the rest of the year. I think that's the orchestration that is going on with the dollar, with uh, with inflation, with energy prices. Something's going to happen pretty soon. I don't think it's the, the, the big punch that a lot of us, you know, that analyze and research things. I don't think that's it. I think it's going to be a kind of a test run, a beta test to see how we respond. And at that time, they'll probably bring a couple of arrows out of their quiver to say, okay, we'll test, you know, the response. We'll test how people react. And, you know, this, once again, people need to understand this is a monetary reset and they're going to use everything they can to do it. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to, you're going to, your quality of life, your, your movement, your, your consumption model is going to change in ways that you're not prepared for. I would say this year is right now being aware of everything that is about to happen is about as a secure as you can be as far as mindset and doing intentional things to educate yourself and to basically get ready for this monetary reset that's coming. Okay. But the next, but, but the next, you know, I, I say this, this is a 10 year plan. This is a 2030 plan that they have going on. The more that they can capture our attention spans, which they do very well, because everybody definitely wakes up and they, 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 they accept the programming into their lives. They, they accept the media, even though they, the media knows, they know the media lies to them. The media knows that they know that they're being lied to. They don't care because people keep on paying attention to it and they keep on discussing it. You know, the biggest marketing um, apparatus for the media companies is, you know what that is? The individual the individual that still pays attention to it because they create the narrative on like right now, today is Sunday, Sunday mornings in the United States narrative uh, in the, in the country in the United States, every Sunday morning, they have all their media ready to go. They have a weekly marketing plan ready to go and people pay attention to it. And it, it is a, it's a campaign that transpires over the next seven days. And people think that a lot of this is not orchestration. A lot of it is orchestration. A lot of it is not. A lot of it happens, you know, just because that's what happens. But as far as us, you know, in the Bitcoin world, um, you know, I haven't had a TV in several years. I don't watch any of that stuff. I can't anymore. If I if I need research and I need to really what know to know what's going on, I have my outlets of information that I go to and I say, okay, this is valid. And as an individual, especially somebody who's doing what I'm doing, I can't watch that crap. All that crap is programming. And, you know, they're going to, the more that we allow ourselves to be manipulated, the more that you become part of the lie. Because if you're discussing the lie, then you became the lie. Right. And I, I, I take responsibility not to do that anymore in my life. So if more of us do that, I don't really worry about timelines because no matter what the way I'm approaching my life is that if it happens, I'm going to be pretty based and pretty secure because, you know, it's not going to be, it's not Armageddon that I'm talking about here. It's, it's stealing personal freedom and personal space and personal assets. And I don't want that to happen anymore. What's that line? Liberty dies, not to cries, but to cheers. Something like that. Yeah. To cheers. Yeah. 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 This is how Liberty dies. Not to, not to cry oh, yeah. not to outrage, but to people wildly cheering. 
Yeah. And, you know, in, in you know, I, I did a quote once and it was out of St. Augustine's book of city of God. And it's called let the poor court the rich. And as, as the poor, you know, praise the oligarchy that's going on right now in our society, they don't realize that they're praising for their own imprisonment in certain ways, be it, you know, their consumption models that make them, you know, uh, unhealthy, nutritionally starved, or, you know, uh, content that they're, they allow into their brains to, that they make daily and emotional decisions on. Nutritionally starved yet overweight and diabetic and metabolically unhealthy and nutritionally starved. Yeah, pretty much. We're overfed and, uh, nutritionally starving right now. And you can't contest, you cannot contest that. You know, I want somebody to come out and work with you for three days and, and, and have them say, Oh, I, I'm tough. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You, you know, people don't understand that anymore, what it really takes to actually be in good health. You know, um, I was talking to a doctor in Dallas, Dr. Mary care a couple of weeks ago, I went to Dallas to talk to people in the industry and you, you know, she goes, what she does, she gets people out of the food ditch in which we live in. And she goes, one of the best things that we can do is to, I advise people to do a 48 hour bone broth fast. And just that 48 hours of doing that bone broth fast makes them lose part of the cloud that they're living in as far as that nutritional starvation and that inflammation of the brain from eating all these processed foods. And what's the cure? Knowing your damn rancher and say, Hey, rancher, I need some bones. I need, you know, just having that connection with the pure animal protein, pure animal fats, that's regenerative, that doesn't have the chemicals in it. I, I heard a good one. You know, I like to say, shake the hand that feeds you. And there's yeah. even a, I heard a better one. Yeah. Meet yeah. your meat. Meet your meat. There you go. Meet yeah. your meat. Yeah. I mean, you know, people get confused because it is really that simple, isn't it? I, it really is. It's like, okay, I'm going to spend this weekend and I'm in, you know, I'm in Texas. I'm going to find a rancher and I'm going to go meet him and I'm going to shake his hand. And I'm going to say, will you teach me? And I want to help you. How can I help you? And he's going to say, well, let's be partners. How can we be partners? Well, I raise these calves to sell to families that want to give their family pure animal protein because I do it in a regenerative way. I do it to save lives. I'm, I do it because this is my heritage. This is what I love to do. Let's be partners. And people need to understand that you can do that. And part of the beef initiative is, is sending that signal, but is also saying, okay, you live in, you know, a big city. You, you can't do that. I understand that. I respect that. And cause I was that person as well. You know, I couldn't leave the city a lot of times like I can now, but what we want to do is, is bridge that gap of communication and saying, Hey, check out this rancher out here, you know, in the panhandle of Texas, check out this rancher down in central Texas, Texas, check out this rancher out here in Colorado. You know, there's places that we're going to with the beef initiative where these ranchers, they don't have an outlet to educate, to sell their product and to develop a relationship with another human being that maybe, you know, over Christmas, you're sending each other Christmas cards because it's going to be that valuable. And you're going to find ways to, to help each out, each other out in this life instead of letting this centralized propaganda machine tell you everything that it's telling you right now, especially when it comes to the source of the seed of your nutrition. And the best source of the seed of nutrition is in the United States of America is the cow, regenerative raised cow. I, I agree 100%. And I, I also want to say that like the whole shake the hand that feeds you, 
Mm-hmm. I love to throw that at a vegan. Yeah. Because they can't do it. Like no, they, they can't. literally can't do it. And a lot of vegetarians can't even do it. No. And, and don't mistake that I'm like talking bad about that. If that's how people choose to eat, fine. No, that's fine. Great. That is, it is. Shake but the understand the injuries. Like yeah. get in yeah. touch with how your food is produced mm-hmm. from raw material to your plate. And I guarantee you, if a lot of vegans understood what it took to put that meal on their plate and the implications of it, you know, monocrop farming of soybeans, that's habitat destruction, you know, fungicides, herbicides, that kills all soil life. Like at what point does a vegan draw the line between what animal is acceptable to kill for food and what animal is not? Yeah. How about all the foxes, all the pheasant, all the, the field mice? all the uh, badgers, all, all kinds across these United States, the millions of animals that are killed every year, monocropping, never brought up. Where's PETA? You know, come on. But, you know, as far as vegans and vegetarians, that's okay. You know, my life partner right now, she's, she's a vegan. She has to be a vegan, right? So, okay, by saying that, um, she has to be a vegan. Well, she can shake the hand that feeds because what 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 do you do you go to produce you go to farmer's market you know who grew that vegetable most vegans and vegetarians across the united states we couldn't feed all the vegans and vegetarians across the united states if we eliminated monocropping could we it's not possible It, it would not be possible and so how you know and that's what they want they don't want people to understand that because the way we're going with this fake commodity meat that they're creating right now, they're getting to where they can just, you know, they can grow things in the lab now and we'll consume it because it tastes good. And that's what people don't truly understand. They know that they can make stuff to, well, people will say it tastes good. People line up for blocks to eat, you know, Taco Bell because it tastes good. <laughs> you know, people eat all kinds of things. You know, I always bring up hot pockets, pizza pockets and chicken tendies because they taste good. You know, they don't understand the true manipulation of that food because they can't shake the hand that feeds them. And they, like, and you look at the ingredient labels on some of those things like hot pockets. I used to eat hot pockets. Don't judge me. You know, we're all on a journey. I mean, I'm not any better than anybody else, man. And I still eat McDonald's every once in a while too, even though I know it's like some of the worst of the worst commodity production system, over-engineered food. That's not even really, it's delicious. I get it. We all get it. And that's what food science has done. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think I talked about this with my friend, Philip Meese, um, a few episodes ago, you know, food science wants to take out all the best stuff that's in the food and replace it with the cheapest crap and make it taste the same. Sure. And it's, we've, we've taken things like everything that has a really flashy package, the flashier the package, the more claims it's making. You go and you look at that ingredient label. If that thing is more than two or three lines long, put that crap back on the shelf and go find a healthier alternative. I'm not saying don't enjoy McDonald's or chicken nuggets every once in a while. Not at all. But you start looking at some of that stuff, you know, Okay, yeah, so it says maybe the first ingredient is meat and then, you know, whatever. Well, where'd that meat come from? I mean, what, are, what kind of meat are we talking about? Is it just random scraps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe the first ingredient is enriched flour. So what the hell is enriched flour? Well, 
it's wheat they cut they took the germ off of bleached it got everything out of it and then had to re-add nutrients back into it so it's actually good for you to eat like so where do those synthetic nutrients come from why are we putting this crap back in and it causes you know these things cause inflammation they're not bioavailable and the way the way we I think we solve a lot of the health issues that we're facing is we quit eating this crap that the government has told us is food has defined as food. Like just like over the last two years, they've changed the definition of what a vaccine is. Like (laughs) (laughs) we know they've done that. Like they've admitted they've done that. They've been caught red handed doing that. They redefined what food is. Yeah. And like substances appearing and tasting as food, but may not actually provide any real human nourishment no and that's what people rely on because they we're trusting people we want to trust we want we want to feel secure we do and within how how much our food industry has been corrupted by the global movement to have a one world food group basically is what they want you know and I, I bring this up all the time. I didn't brought it up with you as far as labeling, you know, the FDA just to want a lawsuit to be able to have, you know, a thousand new chemicals thrown into our food supply. Okay. Each one of those individual chemicals is making a global corporation millions of dollars because you ingest it. That's the only reason of money. Yeah. And you know what I have to add, my father was a counselor and he used to bust my balls and he used to say, okay, you're bitching, you're moaning, you're having an issue, whatever it is. He would say, what part are you playing in this? You can complain all you want, you know, but until you admit and take ownership, once again, we're talking ownership until you can take ownership of how you, what part you play in this, you don't have a right to really complain anymore. Once you've understood the situation, situation and you can evaluate it and you can you know understand that i need to eliminate this part i'm playing in it things usually get better so you know for everybody listening whenever we quit playing a part of this type of industry and we have a solution which that's what you do and that's what i'm trying to help people understand that you do do it is that we have a solution okay you have to change behavior you have to change your mindset you have to change your worldview a little bit, but that's a superpower these days because you're not living in this form of cloud, you know, uh, cognitive dissonance in this mass formation, you know, that's going on in our, our world right now, you know, your life gets better whenever you understand that, you know, if I quit playing a part in all of this corruption, I don't even have to worry about it anymore, but it's definitely good to know and how it happens. It takes a long time to understand the research I put in to get to where I am now with writing my first newsletter, thousands of hours. Now I've been doing this for two years. I just came to the public really in September of last year. So that's a short period of time that I've, I've been involved with this. And it's, it's crazy because a lot of people, you know, started paying attention very quick we can, we can circumvent all of this and we can do it with the understanding of, you know, decentralization of our food. And as we're decentralized, decentralizing our food, we're looking at decentralization of our monetary system and they come they're They're working together. If we say that our dollar is debased, you know, in the last 50 years, as much as it is, do you not think our food is debased just as bad? If our food is debased, what does it mean? It means exactly what you said, overly processed ingredients that have no nutritional value. But 
will keep on consuming it because it tastes good and it has a big marketing plan behind it. And the labeling means nothing to anybody anymore, except the cartoon that they put on it and they're, how they're able to lie about it. You know, you don't even have to say, you can't even say, what is it? Bioengineering now, you know, they don't have to say GMO anymore. They say bioengineering on the, on the packages that's coming out tenfold this year on all packages. And they don't even say what bioengineering is. It's just a barcode. Right. So, you know, there's so many ways that the, that the food industry is manipulating the general consumer that they have no clue and they don't understand because they do, they try to watch their weight. They try to get good nutritious foods. It's not the consumer's fault in a lot of ways. We are all guilty of it. Just like you said, McDonald's, you know, I, what was it? There's a place here called Taco Villa. I had a burrito from them the other day and I was, I felt guilty. I was like, well, crap. Anyways, I won't be doing that again for a long time. Cause I don't, but you know, we're all guilty, but we don't have to play it hundred percent all the time. And it's, it is a switch and we don't have to automatically get into Bitcoin all at the same time. We just have to educate and take that small step of low time preference in a different direction, just pointing our compass somewhere else. And you don't have to go all in on Bitcoin. Like say maybe, no. you know, you get 250 bucks, producer shares 250 bucks off that box of meat, just throwing out round numbers. Let's just say, sure. instead of putting all 250 of that in, for cash flow, a lot of guys gonna need some cash flow. So mm-hmm. you could put a percentage in and always skim that percentage off and put it in Bitcoin as, as a safety net for later in case, in case they do start confiscating dollars and, and reset everybody's bank account balance back to, to nothing and do a mm-hmm. and do a shared digital central banking currency here. Like I, they're going to try it. It's inevitable. I think. Oh yeah. They're going to try it. Definitely. They're, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be able to achieve it in a lot of ways within our, our um, economy and within our society, they'll be able to achieve a form of digital currency that many people are, are going to be okay being dependent on. You know, you have your social services communities and, you know, people that get a lot of federal money, uh, a lot of states, there's, there's going to be a lot of ways that they can uh, introduce this digital currency that people will love because it's convenient. And they know that, um, you know, we don't have to participate in that. We can circumvent around it. I, I think we'll have to participate in it to a certain extent to do business with, you know, for sure, do business with that part. Like mm-hmm. I can, I can see definitely like uh, transportation, like, Oh, you're, you have enough money to buy your ticket. Your social credit score is high enough to buy a ticket, but it says you haven't been wearing AI cameras have seen you not wearing a mask and coughing in the last 24 hours. So we're not going to let you on the airplane. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, the cruise lines, you just made me think of something right when the, you know, all this came and everybody's like, Oh, I missed my cruise. I missed my cruise. And they say, Hey, cruises are back. Well, there was already a software called track and trace. (laughs) I think they probably renamed it by now, but you know, you could go on a cruise again, but you know, you have to give your firstborn, you know, your firstborn's genetics before you can take that cruise. Right. You know, now you're in the system of track and track and trace and they, they, they're going to know a lot more about you than they ever did because you opted into that system voluntarily. A lot of people don't realize they've opted into a system that's going to be able to know a lot more about them. I mean, HIPAA rules are gone. Think about that. You know, whenever they can make you claim if you've been vaccinated or not, isn't that a HIPAA law? Nah, not anymore. Nobody even pays attention to it. 
But that last eight years, thanks, Obama. Maybe if it, I don't know, you know, for all the whatever it is, I don't know. But people really don't understand how many times they've opted into a system in the last two years that they didn't even understand what it, the true intent was. That act, that makes me think of a question. Do you know a way to help scrub some of your data off the internet and quit paying it? Yeah, quit playing a part of it right now because it's not totally there. You know, as far as the overall system, it's not there. Just quit, you know, quit, quit naming, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not on LinkedIn anymore. I used to be on LinkedIn. I don't, you can't really find me, but that's just a gradual process that you do is quit participating with giving your data so freely one, you know, whenever you go and buy something from a retail store, can you have our phone, your phone number? You know, it's always something. Would you like that receipt emailed to you? Hell no, I don't. And you'll have my email address. <laughs> you'll print it out for me. But, you know, there's just this certain behavioral things that you can do where you don't have to participate as much. And I'm not very good because I, you know, I think I have two W-2s on my record for the last 15 years. I mean, I'm, I've been doing my own thing for 15 years where, you know, I do my taxes, I do everything legally 100%, but I'm just not part of the system anymore. I don't even know what my credit score is. You know, I don't participate. And, and, but not everybody can say that. And I'm not telling everybody they should just jump in doing that. But I think the more that you can quit being dependent on people trying to get that personal data from you is the first step. It's, it, it takes a while, but it can be done. And once again, why do you desire what you desire to, to, to exchange that information for something? Take a low time preference about it. Take a step back and say, well, why do I really want this? And a lot of times it is so you can have a lifestyle. So you can have, be a rancher, you know, whatever it is, me being, you know, a business, you know, I, I have, I'll have to, you know, the corporation of the beef initiative, you know, people will know that. So there's things that you can do and there's things you, you, you don't have control over, but the more that you control your own data, I mean, you know, there's plenty of things out there that you can do to not participate. And it's not black and white. This is very gray for us. And I tell everybody right now, this first phase of the beef initiative is a 10 year program here, man. This is what we're doing. We're going to go along with them as they do things. We're doing things. We counterpunch, we counterpunch, we counterpunch. Food supply shortage comes. Guess what? We already have an apparatus set up where people can get beef. Okay, what happens after that? We don't know yet, but we think we know. What about whenever we, hopefully with the beef initiative, you want to own some cows, you get to, you know, you get to own some cows. And, you know, we're working in and working with ranchers to see how we can do that. There's a lot of things that are going to, you know, transpire each, you know, each month, each year. And, you know, it, within innovation in this transformation and this disruption, you know, you just keep on moving forward. You're... You're one of the only people that's willing to talk about they see a coming food shortage. Mm -hmm. Much less talk about it while the record button is pressed and there's a red light on a console. Like, right. I, I agree. Like, I, I think we're really, really heading for, for a food crunch. And whether it is, like we talked about earlier, whether it's something that's just blown out of proportion of public perception, right, or there's actually a food shortage it kind of scares the hell out of me mm -hmm. because you get these ultra dense, ultra huge metropolitan areas. Okay. And we can name a couple of them off LA, the Bay area, Chicago, um, New York city, well, basically the whole East coast. 
they're 36 hours away from not having food. Like mm -hmm. at most they have a day and a half worth of food supply in that city, totally dependent on the trucks still running, which reminds me to talk about freedom convoy. I guess we need to circle around to that if we have any time left, but it doesn't, it's not going to take very much of a shortage in any one commodity to trigger a panic. Like what happens the first time a mom with her well loaded up welfare card or food stamps can't go and get just the basics. She's going to go to another store. They're going to be out. She's going to go to another store. They're going to be out. She's going to post a video on social media. That's going to go viral. Mm -hmm. And then we have food riots. Mm -hmm. Do you see it? Oh yeah. I see it big time. And I, I'm not a fatalist here, man. I'm really not, but everything that I've, I've put together throughout the last couple of years, it's, it's going to happen. I just, the timing, I, I can't say, and let's, let's say this, you know, once that happens, we don't know how people are, we desensitized death during COVID. They successfully desensitized death. They made it to where it was like, Oh, it's just a number on a screen. That was intentional. You go to freaking the news channels and they have the little counter how many people died today? How many people had COVID? It was like the stock exchange. It just keeps on updating, updating. So that desensitizes what our, our view of death is, what our view of health is, what our view of being sick is, what, what is real, what is not real. So that, that was the first phase of desensitizing us to certain things. Whenever we can, they're desensitizing us on the, on the nutritionally, you know, bankruptcy of our food and of our people, I don't know how people will react, but I don't see it being very pleasurable. I see local communities bonding together, people that are ready to work with each other, that have a relationship and that care for each other are really going to be the ones that really fight through this and really innovate in a way that uh, nobody sees coming. And I, mean, I know that's hard to say, you know, it's a creep, right? It's a creep. It's gradually, gradually. And then suddenly, you know, being a rancher out on the, on, on your acreage and you're all by yourself and you, you know, you're, you're doing whatever you're breaking ice, whatever it is, you're by yourself. You don't see all this as a rancher. You have so many different things that you're having to worry about. And it's so cool that we're being able to bridge this communications gap this information gap and this intelligence gap. I have no problem telling anybody that there's a food shortage coming along. And I believe, you know, I think it was Adam on Joe Rogan, you know, talked about food intelligence and, you know, him and I have been discussing this for a while now. I've been basically saying this since last September, there's something that's coming and there's the grain. I talked when I was in Dallas, I talked to some of it's in the major industrial food complex they have connections they're not in it anymore and they said i'll tell you he's he goes i'll give you an example he goes frito-lay already bought up all the corn and he, he you know we're not going to go down to numbers and quantities but what he means is the food global food corporations have already bought up the grain okay what are they going to do with that grain either it be the consumption model of the human or the consumption model of the of the of the animal from livestock, you know, as they do with our grains, well, they're going to be able to destroy industries that they want to destroy micro industries. They're going to be able to, to manipulate our food supplies in a way that people do not understand because of the overly dependency that we have on fertilizer, 
on those GMO grains on monocropping, and they know that the time is up. They know they have to come along and create a new form of animal protein. How much of all that commodity grain they've um, basically bought up is going to go straight into that fake meat that people say, oh, it sucks. I would never eat that. You want to bet? When that's the only food they're feeding you in the supermarkets, whenever Texas went down last year with the, the electricity shortage or outage. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was you all that was the pictures. Shelves. That was the only thing left the shelves that day. They took that picture. Guess what? Day later, none of that stuff was on the shelves and people say, well, I'll never eat that burger. Well, yeah, but you'll eat a pizza pocket. You'll eat everything that they can put that fake commodity into. And you'll say it tastes good. It's not any different just because it's not the form of a hamburger. And they're not going to make this steak all right there in the beginning. They're going to ease it into the food. Yep. They're going to stack it on another fake commodity of your soy, of your canola, your rapeseed, of your fructose, everything that has no nutritional value. They're just going to stack a new fake commodity on top of that. And they're going to make billions upon billions of dollars off of it as they squeeze out the rancher. And keep destroying the environment and telling us that cow farts are killing the atmosphere. Exactly. Exactly. And people believe it. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, are very impressionable. You know, they're very idealistic when it comes to the climate and how things can be saved. A lot of people do not understand the answer has always been here. It was, it was how our grandfathers treated the animal and the land and how they used the animal as a land tool to regrow the soil and, and to make it strong. And I think it's also worth noting right now that debunk the argument, well, we can't regeneratively graze the whole Great Plains. There are four times the amount of buffalo here than we have. Cows. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, they say, you know, they say here in the Texas panel, you don't have water. We don't have water to monocrop. That's what we don't have water. We have, we have water to feed our, uh, to water our livestock. You know, let's take a step back, you know, think about all the water that we won't waste, you know, on that monocropping. You know, we're the desert high plains here. It's the desert. Dang it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, Shouldn't we, be know. pumping water from 600 feet deep to grow corn. <laughs> exactly. Or, or even cotton in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of, you know, South of me is, is big cotton land. I mean, cotton is King down there, you know? And so once that happens, you bet we can regrow this soil. It was there once we had some of the prettiest grasslands in the world. And, you know, it's true. And, and like you said, the bison were the land tools at the time. And there are many more bison than there are cattle right now. United States doesn't have that many cattle comparative. India has over 300 million. Russia has more cattle than the United States. We're third in line with 94 million cattle each year, give or take. So people don't understand the perspective of all this. And they're never going to hear it because they watch the programming. So how do we deprogram ourselves? One freaking lamb at a time, one cow at a time, one human at a time. It's all we can do. That's the perspective you have to go into this. You have to go in, you have to have those conversations. But once you get there and you, you develop communication apparatuses, this is what we're doing right now. We're talking about it. How many people are going to listen to this? I think I've had at least five to 10 people tell me, Hey, I heard you on Brian's you know, podcast and that's good. That's Redbeard, cool. you know? Yeah. And so this is how we do it. I mean, people need to quit thinking globally, need to quit thinking. Let's, let's create the strong individual again. 
let's look at the strong individual. That strong individual can make a strong community. That community community can be anything that that strong individual wants it to be. Does it have to be digital across the world? Yeah, you can have many communities. But in, this is something, there's, there's no end game here. This is a lifestyle change. This is a traditional uh, stamp into our legacy of how we dealt with these times. Why are we so lucky and immune to being having to fight like we're in war, like our grandparents did and our ancestors did? They live their lives on a survival mechanism mode. And why do, why do we think that we're so much better? Why? Because we, we accept the lie that got us here? No, nah, I can't do that. You can't do that. A lot of people are starting to realize, I, I don't like this. You know, I need, I need truth in my life. I need a, a different form of empowerment. I need to, you know, really look at myself in the mirror and say, man, I don't need entertainment. I'm going to become the damn entertainment. And once you can do that, and strong men lead that, strong individuals lead that, strong women, mothers lead that. So there's, there's many people out there that are going to start coming along. They already are. And that's how we change it. That's how we do this. We can't look at this. What got us here is 1971. And Eric Butts said, we're going fence to fence. You're going big or you're going home. Yep. We're not going big anymore. We're going big within our community and with our uh, individual strengths. That's where we're going big. I think the order of the day is get small. It is. Just get Why small not? and diversify and, yeah. and shrink your social circle and take care of your community. Um, you know, we talk about food shortages coming. Okay. Like mm -hmm. mine stand at, I, my major long-term food source stands in the pasture. I love beef. I can't eat it 24 seven. Like I, sure. as much as I think the carnivore diet is cool. And I know a lot of people have luck on it. Great luck on it. I'm not sure I'm meant to eat like that. I still like to eat some vegetables every once in a while. And anybody that knows me will argue with me about, about me liking vegetables. <laughs> But I came up from a farming community. I eat vegetables still. I'm never going to say I don't eat vegetables. But there's a need for that in the diet. And we're planning to like, we're planning to put in a large garden. Like this yeah. week, we're this next coming week, we're going to bring skid steer down, rip up a bunch of yard to plant corn. But, you know, that's a useful crop to grow because we can grind that corn meal. It's a good way to store protein long term through the year but we're not using GMO seeds. Like I've, right. I've planted four different varieties of heirloom red corn, like a uh, bloody butcher, Jimmy and um, bloody butcher and Jimmy red. And there's, there's two more like Indian uh, Flint corn varieties that are colored like yeah. with that reddish side. So that's what we're planting. That's like yeah. all heirloom stuff. Um, and we've got plenty of seeds. Oh gosh. We've got seeds and seeds and seeds for days. <laughs> awesome. Everybody wants them. <laughs> They're going to start contacting you now for seeds. Uh, well, my seeds aren't for, well, maybe I'll trade some seeds for Bitcoin. How's that? Value for value. Yeah. Like yeah. I've got a, I've got several pounds of corn seed or of corn kernels that I grew and saved for seed from the last two years of, of chaos gardening. I'd be happy to let those go for Bitcoin. <laughs> peer to peer. <laughs> but I think, you know, growing food's hard. Uh -huh. I mean, it, it, it's legitimately a hard thing and of course to, it's hard to plan. Like how much space do I need? How many feet of corn? How many feet of potatoes? How many feet of onions? How many tomato plants? And the best planning you give, well, you can plant the same thing two years in a row. In one year you get a half a crop and the next year you get three times. Mm -hmm. 
and these that's growing food's hard planning it is hard and food production i think has always been a problem for every form of government and ensuring that the people can eat has always been a problem for government Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how that ties into the larger discussion about, you know, about Bitcoin and, and as a store of value, but it's there. It is. And that and it's a mindset change that you have to go through because I've been around the world a couple of times and what you see on TV is not reality for the most part you know, as far as communities, you know, I, I spent time in Asia, you know, most people grow their own food over in Asia. You know, a lot of people do, especially the people that don't have that much money. That's what they do. And, and we can't grow. Trained. We're trained and programmed. Right. Look down on that way of life. Look at those poor subsistence. I know. Farmers. Yeah. Look at yeah. those poor sharecroppers. If only we could lift them up out of poverty. Of course. And that's what, I mean, that's what they're going to push right now. They're doing it in Africa. They're doing it in Asia. Bill Gates is going monocropping big time, regenerative, whatever monocropping they're, they're manipulating regenerative, you know, agriculture as we speak. But yeah, I mean, we have to put that in perspective. My grandfather didn't grow all of his vegetables for the family. He, he did swap, you know, he swapped things because he, he was part of the community. We can't take, you know, 100%. This is not, you know, a doomsday type prepping type of mentality. What this is, this is a community mentality. What you do is you have a relationship, say, hey, Brian, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of genetics, you know, what are you having this year within cattle? Okay, what are you growing with vegetables, man? You're growing some corn? Me too, man. I've got some blue corn I'm going to do. It's native, you know, it's out of Oklahoma. You know, I found it off of, you know, a certain place. And so I say, hey, man, let's let's swap out this year. Let's keep each other in tune. What are we doing? And then we'll have a, you know, we'll have a, a time to where we can exchange some stuff peer to peer. Just why do you have to go any further than that? You know, it's it's a slow step into this change. Once again, it took us a long time to get here. It's not going to change overnight. What you have to do is I call it a, a, the new luxury lifestyle. I mean, you do you know what the the anxiety that is lost by being able to say I can eat for the next two years if I really had to? Let's just say for the next six months. Let's just say for the next three months. That gives you free time in your own mind and your emotional structure that you're going to go out there and you're going to get even more innovative. You're going to grow, go down that rabbit hole of whatever it is that you're really wanting to pursue as an individual. It just happens. You can't spell it out. And all of us are different. You know, we can't all just say, this is how it is. It's not black and white. And it, it is hard to grow vegetables. It is hard to grow this stuff. But, you know, once you get in that community, you learn so much so fast all the information in the world for you to change your lifestyle into what you and I are talking about and what so many other people are talking about decentralizing food. There is no lack of intelligence that you can achieve and uh, a lifestyle change that you can actually pursue. It's there and it's, you can do it for free. I'm thinking about uh, over the week, over the last couple of days, I've been involved in one of those high time preference activities that we try not to be involved in. I was strolling Facebook and I saw, I saw something that kind of struck me. And it was, it was a fairly long and detailed post talking about spices, about how just 250 years ago, 
how hard some spices were to get, like things like nutmeg, vanilla, mm-hmm. peppercorns, things we just absolutely totally take for, for granted. Yeah. Like there is an embarrassment of wealth in everybody's spice cabinet. Like 250 years ago, the amount of spices that the average person has in their home would be an embarrassment of wealth to any king. Like never in human history have we been able to eat food that's such well spiced or had Mm -hmm. access to this many spices. And I'm not talking about like the quote artificial natural flavorings. I'm talking about like real spice, like, you know, real cinnamon, real vanilla, real thyme, basil, those things. It's just, and peppercorns. It's just wild. Like they covered the world looking for a better source of peppercorns. And that was mm-hmm. one of the reasons the British Empire went sailing around the world is they were looking for a place to grow peppercorns. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wars were fought, you know, you know, empires were created through spices. And, you know, if you really look historically, this is, you know, a podcast series of itself when we just talk about spices and how we had, you know, taste something that tastes different like that was a form of wealth that you could, you could deliver that taste you know, your spice rack that you're talking about that was unlimited wealth that a king, you know, didn't have. If he did have it, you know, he controlled the kingdom. He controlled that the outlets of transportation for those spices from Asia to from India, from Central Asia, which is India, all the way over to Europe, or, you know, and especially into the States, you know, from the South Americas, you know, with, you know, their peppers all the way to Asia. So many things happen within that, that spice market, you know, historically, that is fascinating. Yeah, that's why I always say, you know, look at the source of the seed. Where does the source of the seed come from? You know, as far as that seed that you're consuming, where did it originate? What what what's the history of that seed? You know, nutmeg. You know, what is the source of that pepper? You know, let's start looking at that. You know, and once you start doing that, it just it you know you become your own researcher, and it's very empowering to become your own researcher. You know, throw away your Google. <laughs> don't use google it's just an index it's not the internet and so you know you can you can you can really find some fascinating stuff i use DuckDuckGo if i actually want to find something without bias if i know the bias yeah. i'm looking for i can use google <laughs> yeah i, I use DuckDuckGo too and got pissed off at them the other day because they virtued signal about ukraine and russia now and now they're going to start censoring too so uh-huh. a lot of bitcoiners are kind of pissed off about that justifiably so that's that's it's inevitable like the the greater the rate social adoption you know adoption of a product or a service becomes you're going to start picking up those you know that incredibly vocal minority that's going to be offended about everything Mm -hmm. yeah well it's social engineering at its finest and that's what we're going through you know the lives that have been perpetrated into act academic America into the media into our children's lives into the digital apparatuses in which we, we enslave ourselves to you know it's 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 on a vast scale and a lot of people do not understand how the information is delivered what the intent of that information is to be used for and the longer you know the longer agenda that they have to be able to basically make us dependent on all of that. I just, I just like to lose a lot of the dependency, you know, that I had in the past. And like I said, we're, we're both guilty of it. This is not a judgment game, man. This is not, it has nothing to do with judging people. This has everything. It's like, Hey, let's get empowered. This is kind of fun right now. You know, we all probably should be having some fun, 
I mean, these are good conversations. These are good things that are actionable items that we can incorporate into our life and we don't have to freaking ask for permission. And it's like getting back to the damn soil, you know? Um, you know I've been talking with, you know, Cole with KNC. I've been talking to you. Um, I'm done talking with Jason, you know, Rick Ranches. You know, what we're doing here is we're doing a vertical integration of our food supplier, starting with the soil to the grass, to the cow, to the producer, to the processor, to the supplier, to the market access, to human health, which is basically an overall health initiative. And if you can look at those and how that breaks down and you know those touch points of your food supply, you're going to be the healthiest person you know. And if you can answer those questions of that vertical integration of a health initiative that we're creating here, then it involves, you know, animal protein in the soil and the grass. You, you look at that. You don't care what's going on with these chemical companies. You don't care that they shut off all shipments of, you know, fertilizer from Russia months and months ago. You don't care about all this. You're aware of it, but you can say, well, I'm protected. I'm, I'm, I'm self, you know, I'm striving for that self-sovereignty. You know, I'm being intentional about knowing this uh, vertical integration of my food. And if we can all start doing that together and we, you know, have these little powwows and we can say, hey, you know, you brought up the vertical integration into, into processing. Well, what do you mean? Well, let's create, you know, microprocessors across the state of Texas where they create a new form of supply and market access to people that they don't realize it's available. Once that market access of that protein is available to that community, guess what? They're going to start using it. They're especially going to start using it when the supermarket is charging you $40 for a freaking ribeye. Because their supply chain has about 16 different handling points. Yeah, yeah. I always, I always give people an example here in Texas. I said, you know, there's a massive cattle drive happening in Texas right now. A lot of people don't even see it starts in Brazil. I think you and I talked about it, didn't we, you know, and it makes its way up South America to Mexico. And then they eat a bunch of chemical grain in Mexico. And then that cattle gets shipped off into Texas into a processing center in Texas. And then in Texas, they say, Hey, USDA prime beef. Well, beef is not from the United States. And then all that wonderful beef that Texas is growing goes off to China and Europe to the highest bidder. And, and the lie is like, and here's the lie that we've been sold for the last three, four years since people have become aware of the disparity between import export numbers in the beef mm -hmm. market. The lie they've sold us is, oh, we're just importing lean trim, <laughs> importing lean trim. I saw a week ago, like it was the first week of March, I saw a USDA report that came out that yeah we import a lot of lean trim but that's only about 35 percent of what we import the rest was you know primals and choice cuts so like i think it's th that bullshit line of oh we're just yeah. importing lean trim to make burgers that's it's it's not happening like no a lot of these lies about you know our food system are, are being laid bare and they're there like if you do the research, you can go find, you can go find some of these things that are coming to light. Mm -hmm. But again, like you're not seeing it being covered on the mat, on the media because they don't care. And it's not a sensational enough story to get clicks and views. Sure. It's, I mean, you can't yeah. convert it, it. It's difficult to convert food awareness and food intelligence into the high time preference audience, I guess like it, it is you know and i i think early on i said man i, I think about 10 percent 10 percent of the people might be reading this two percent of people are gonna act on it 
And that's probably the case, you know, and you look at, you look at how revolutions start because this is a revolution of our food supply. This is a disruption of our food supply. I'll be the first 3%. to admit it. 3%. Picks 3% to lead a revolution. 3%. Yep. There you we go. Got it. A lot of people don't realize that. So I'm not talking to everybody out there. And if you don't want to listen to me, please go eat your hot pockets and your chicken tendies, man. There's plenty of them. Unless you buy up, you know, for short-term food supply shortage that might happen. But, you know, if you want to keep on consuming that stuff, you know, that's your personal choice. Uh, be informed about it at least. And if that's the choice you make, then go for it. I'm not going to make that choice anymore as an individual, as a father, you know, as, to my son, you know, I'm not going to let him eat that way ever again in his life. And he's going to teach people and he's, you know, the people that he teach, he's going to teach people, you know, every rancher that comes to me and say, Hey, this is my protocol. This is my genetics. This is, this is a region of the country. I'm doing this. This is what we face. This is what we produce. More people are going to start hearing every rancher story. And that's, what's going to be so cool about this, the education and the, the, the amount of information that we're going to be able to provide this year that I think have, has not really hit the masses in a way that's going to hit this year will have a have an impact on our society this year for sure and we're uh we're kind of running short on time yeah I, <laughs> it is it flowed it, it flowed like water that's what we're trying to do here well that's what happens when we like talk when we chat for 15 minutes when i don't when my idiot self hasn't pushed the record button <laughs> I, I, I do that too on my podcast man shut up and hit record at least you know and you can you can edit it out but i'm the worst at it so but we're making progress man and we said you know what was it a month that we said one month we we would talk it, it was exactly a month ago and i just looked and you were uh you were 52 so i can probably release this as episode 56 and um and just kind of get them synced up so i'm gonna i'm gonna get this one turned around pretty quick that's awesome, man. Let's do this in a month. Another one? Why not? Because we have the conference coming up, uh, the Beef Initiative Conference in Kerrville. We're going to start talking about the conference that we're going to have in Colorado. And so I think it's time to get people, you know, kind of engaged. Talk about them now. Let's talk about them. We'll take us on out and uh, offline you and I can discuss. We can, we can get that one set up again. In yeah, we're going to have the first annual Beef Initiative Conference in Kerrville, Texas on April 23rd. Uh, it's on my site. It's it's um, on my Twitter. I've, I'm sharing the information. We're going to really start pumping it out here pretty quick as far as getting a lot more awareness to it. Um, this conference is not, you know, to try to any it's what it is. It's going to have a call to action at the end of it. It's going to be total education. We have all kinds of great speakers um, that are pitch. what's that? Not a sales pitch. It's not a sales pitch, man. And people have to understand everything that I do, I, this is out of my pocket. I've, I've, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not shilling. I'm not trying to, you know, get donations at this point. I'm not, I haven't done anything. I, it's not about money right now. This is about education. This is about bridging this gap of education from the consumer over to the rancher. And there's so much that we need to get in front of everybody. And that's why I'm using these conferences. 
to where we can have some really base speakers from medical to nutrition to ranching to Bitcoin, you know, just general societal things that everybody's kind of confused about. That's what this is about. This is an education year. This is a production of education that everybody is probably yearning for right now and that they need. And so I'm really trying to formulate that message, you know, that vertical integration that we talked about. We're going to talk about those touch points at these conferences. You know, in Colorado, you know, we're going to have it, you know, out there in Crawford at Jason's and off and on there's a, you know, there's an area region there that will be able to do the conference and it'll be more of a hands on saying, hey, this is how it's done, you know, and you're going to be there and there's going to be a lot of people that learn a lot of things about regenerative agriculture when they come to the Colorado conference. And then, so those, those are what we're planning right now. It's hard work. I've never put on conferences before, so I'm learning a lot. But, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to move forward. If, if freaking 15 people show up in Kerrville, Texas, I'll be extremely happy. If, if 300 show up, I'll be ecstatic. If 100, it doesn't matter. It's not a numbers game right now. This is about education and getting the information to people that need it and that want it. And, and educating ranchers, of course, on Bitcoin, and then educating, you know, the consumer on pure animal protein. Right on. Okay, so that is April 23rd. Yes, Kerrville, Texas. Crawford, Colorado. Yeah. When's that one? That's July, the third weekend of July, whatever that falls on. And that could change, but I don't think it's going to. Okay. Where can people go to find out more? Go right now, go to the Beef Initiative, beefinitiative.com. And it's right when you go to beefinitiative.com. And then, of course, on my Twitter is at Modern T Man. Those are the best best two places to come to right now. And then as far as the Beef Initiative, Twitter handle is at Beef Initiative. Okay. I'll make sure I get those in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you, Brian. Anything we forgot? No, I think we covered a lot. All so. right. Well, I'm going to go enjoy the rest of my Sunday. And uh, I guess everybody... Have a great week. Appreciate you, Brian. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Yep. See ya.